Well, good morning and welcome to Friends. We're glad that you're here and chose to worship with us this morning. I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, we're glad and I'm glad that you're here. We are starting a new series this week. And it's a series called, I Love My Church. I love my church. I hope you do, and I hope that's how you feel this morning. But I got to thinking as we're kind of looking into this introductory message, the beginning of this series, how do we define church? Because it's important going forward that we all understand that we are on the same page as to what church is. Because I think each in our minds, we think something different possibly when the word church comes to us. So I did what I think people, and I tend to do nowadays when I'm wondering something. I went to my computer, I went to Google, and I typed in definition of church. Maybe you can read that, maybe you can't, I'll read it for you. But it's, this is what came up, and this is the one and only definition for church that came up in Google. It said, there's a noun, it is a building used for public Christian worship. So church, I love my church, um, you know, from the way some people sit in the same place every week, I can see I love my pew. <laughs> I love my pastor. Yeah, how about that one? But I love my church. But, but you know, this is kind of, this is kind of uh, you know, it's, it, it leaves me with like, bricks and mortar and, and all that stuff that goes with it. And I was thinking, is, if this is really what church is, this is going to be one humdinger of a series. In fact, I was trying to envision Pastor Kevin's sermon next week. My passion for heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. Amen. You want to be here two weeks from today. We're going to talk about that great theological controversy. Is it okay for a Christian to hate flat roofs? <laughs> Those of you who have been in the gym when it's raining know exactly what I'm talking about. Three weeks from today, facilities director Ed Compick will be here to share with us the history of the flooding in the lower level here at Friends Church. <laughs> Wow, does that, I tell you, just thinking about that series gets me blessed. How about you? <laughs> Bring your friends. Hear about our church. No, that's not what we talk about when we think about church. Yes, church is a building, but it's so much more than that. I find it interesting that uh, Google, in choosing what to put up for a definition of church, used the one definition that we don't find in the Bible. Nowhere in Scripture do we see the building used for public Christian worship. So the question is, what do we find? And so as we start to look, we start to research, and we start to say, okay, when I look at this word here and I see the word church, what does it really mean? And, and, and we go back and we look, and we see this Greek word that comes out, and you say, well, why are you looking at the Greek? Uh, well, in the Greek, you know, I found out as I started studying the Bible that for some reason, I don't know if they just didn't comprehend it, but they didn't write it in English the first time. This word didn't come to us in English. And so, you know, what's with that? You know, I'm, I, don't they know we all speak English? <laughs> but that's not the way it was. The, the Old Testament was written in the language of the day, and that was Hebrew mostly. The New Testament, by the time of 50 and 100 AD, the predominant language, even in Jerusalem, even in, in, in the area of, the, of Israel, was... Greek. 
And so we got to go back, and I see this word church, and every time, 114 times that we see the word church in our English Bible, if we would go back to the Greek original language, we'd find this word, ekklesia, ekklesia. And it means church, but, you know, it's kind of like a lot of other words. It has different meanings depending on how you use it. You know what I mean. Take in our language the word run. If I tell you define for me the word run, you would say, well, to move quickly or swiftly afoot, you know, to get from one place to another quickly with, by, by moving your feet. And that's the definition of the word run. And I say, okay, so your nose runs? Yeah. I'm going to run for mayor? Um, boy, I remember sending my kids out to get the mail. I said, run out and get the mail? It took them forever. <laughs> I don't think there's any move, move swiftly afoot. Or my favorite, I would be a much happier person today if the Cleveland Indians had scored five runs <laughs> on Wednesday. <laughs> ah, you knew I'd work that in, right? So we got to look, and we look, look at this word found 114 times in the New Testament. We understand that it means different things at different places. It means different things to different people. And some of these words, even over time, their words, their meanings change. And so as we study the Bible, we go back and we say, okay, what did it mean? And, and, and I start thinking here and looking here. And as we study it, we can basically come up with this one definition that's, that's fairly accurate. And it is this, that ecclesia is an assembly, a congregation, or a gathering. One thing you notice when you look at that, you don't see anything very spiritual about that. You don't see anything religious. In fact, if you go back, this term was not only used in the New Testament, but in our Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew in the Old Testament, it's also used. And it's used many, many times as an assembly, as a congregation, as a gathering. Not at all religious. In fact, we could, ecclesia, we could gather for war. We could, Ecclesia, we could call out for a public meeting. Sometimes it was the whole tribe of Israel. Moses would call and the whole tribe would gather. They would be called out to meet together. They would be a congregation. And Moses would share. And all through the Old Testament you see it. And now we get to the New Testament and we see the writers of the New Testament pulling out the same word. And they say, okay, this, when the, the church is meeting, when, when we are gathered they use this word. And so I start to look, okay, how can we understand this? How can we come more fully into knowledge of, of, of this word and what it means? And I said, what we need, I thought what we need to do is kind of step back. Step back and get the big picture. You ever hear that? They said, let's start by looking the big picture. In fact, in business and in sometimes strategy and management meetings, you hear a phrase called, let's look at this from the 30,000 foot level. People heard that? Let's look at this from the 30,000 foot level. That means we want to get up where we're not immersed in the details. We just want to look and get the big picture, see what's going on, and strategize and do the things that we can do when we see really the big picture. But as I looked at this word, and I looked at what God has for us this morning, I thought 30,000 feet isn't far enough to get away. So let's travel back, and let's step back to about 239,000 miles and get that view. I kind of think of this as I look at that awesome picture. I believe that's Apollo 8. 
I kind of get a sense of the awesomeness of God, the beauty of his creation. But I also get a sense in Ecclesia of this church, what is called at times the unseen church. Theologian Wayne Grudem says this, the church is the community of all true believers for all time. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. This is the church that God sees that you and I don't see. This is the church that not only includes us here, but it includes my grandma and grandfather and it includes my great-parents, great-grandparents and your great-grandparents. This is the church that includes all those down through history who have sacrificed and given and have served the Lord, that have accepted him and as Gruden's right, and I believe he is, all true believers. This is the church that is not bound by time. It's not bound by space. This is the church that we have been part of. This is the church that God sees, the unseen church from the beginning of time. Those who call upon his name. And this church, even today, even today, this church is bigger and maybe different than what you might think. Let me ask you this question and, and, and get your minds ready to work here for a second. Picture in your mind the typical church attender. Everybody got a picture? A typical church attender? Now, some of you probably cheated and looked at the guy next to you. but <laughs> The typical church attender. Well, do you know that today, there are, even today, there are 2.3 billion Christians on, in the earth? That's studies done by, by respected organizations for Christian, um, Christian studies, the Center for the Study for Global Christianity. 2.3 billion. That is about... One th in 2010, anyhow, that was about one-third of the population. 62% of those were Asian, African, or Latin American. Does that change your view of the typical church attender? In fact, Philip Jenkins, in his book, The Next Christendom, says this, that even today, the typical Christian is a woman living in a village in Nigeria or a Brazilian shantytown. That's the typical Christian. And yet, when we think of God's church, I know I have this vision of, it's kind of short-sighted. It's kind of narrow. When God sees his church and he sees the expanse, he sees societies that we've never heard of. Here's languages in this vast church that God has ordained we've never heard spoken. There are nationalities that we've never thought about. They're all part of this church that we together are part of this morning. It's the global church. It's the unseen church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. I love uh, another Philip. This is Philip Yancey. Um, He's a writer and he's, he, he travels and he's said as he traveled, he's noticed a pattern, a strange historical phenomena. And if you think about it, you might see it too. He says he sees God moving from the Middle East to Europe, to North America, and now to the developing world. And he says, my theory is this, God goes where he's wanted. God goes where he's wanted. And a shift 
of Christendom, the shift of the typical church person from Europe and America, the northern hemisphere, rapidly, that 62% is going to grow, 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 grow in the southern hemisphere over these next years. And so we are part of a bigger church. If we think, well, this is the way church is and this is the way we do it, well, this is maybe not the way God has it. This is not the way the churches maybe in Africa do it or in India or in the Philippines. But we are part of a great worldwide church. I see three observations here. The first observation is this. Jesus established this church. Jesus established this church. Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church was Peter's response, or Jesus' response to Peter. I will build my church. It's his church. In fact, Paul in Ephesians and Colossians tells both of those churches when he's writing to them that Christ is the head of the church. So when I look for 239,000 miles and I see this great expanse, I see this church, magnificent church throughout time, and I know that Jesus Christ is the head. He's the start. He's the sustainer. And I see another point. My second observation is Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. Ephesians 5.25 says Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church. When you read this book and you read the stories of Christ and you see his life, you get a sense of the love that just pours out. And Paul says that love is not just individual. Yes, he loves you, he loves me, but he loves this church. I understand that. Have you ever made something? You created it, you love it? Other people think it's ugly, but I made it. Our church staff went to one of these places for, our, for a party where we, we made, um, you know, you take like cups and stuff and you put, colors on it and glaze it and, and everybody had these nice things and I had this ugly thing with, but I liked it. It's mine. I created it. I loved it. Well, I didn't love it. It was okay. <laughs> but it's a good example. We created it. We love it. But then it goes on and says, Ephesians, the rest of that verse, and it's the third observation. Jesus suffered and he died for the church. He gave his life for the church. The church globally. The people you and I don't even know. The people that maybe we'd be surprised that are in this church. The people we would say, I never expected to see him there. Jesus suffered and died, not just for me, not just for you, yes, but for the church. When he was talking to Peter, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's his church, and it's marching forward. If God is for us, who can be against us? I don't know about you, though. If I stay out at 239,000 miles too long, I don't know if it's a lack of oxygen or what, but I start to get dizzy. <laughs> so we need to move in a little bit. So we start to get closer view of the church. Let's go down to 30,000 feet and see what we see there. This is what I would call, and what 
theologians call the regional church. This is the church that's the visible church. We got boundaries, we got space, we got time, we got people. And as we look at this and we look at the scriptures, we see evidence of regional churches, another use of this ecclesia. For example, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in number. The word church there is ecclesia, and it's not this global church. You gotta look at the words around it to understand. It's not a global church, this is a regional church. This might be if I came to you and said, the church of Lake Geauga in Cuyahoga County. We're different churches, but we come together. We are working together to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are working together to serve the needs of the hurting. We're working together to improve and create a society and a culture where people can come and share and care. One of the great things about the Billy Graham Crusades was how it brought people together. You know, I was looking this week in Jacksonville when they had a crusade there. They said, we need 40,000 volunteers from the churches. This wasn't going to come out of one church. It had to come from the churches in the region. They had to work together. They had to cooperate. 40,000 people were needed to be ushers, to be choir members, to be counselors. And they called on them. They said, we need to work together. And the churches, hundreds, hundreds of churches would come together. And I can see God up there saying, ha, 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 the churches in those counties, those cities, they're coming together. They're being the church. But it's the visible church. It's the church that we can see. It's the church we can see in action. It's also not just regions. It's even a little closer to that. It's cities. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 1.1, we see Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church, ecclesia of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. The church in Corinth. How about this? The church in Willoughby Hills. Not necessarily just friends, but the church, the people of God. It's the people, it's the church that God sees. And he sees down this morning at Willoughby Hills, and I think he's probably looking around and he's seeing his people wherever they are. If they are the true believers, as Grudem says, then they're worshiping together. And they're praising. And I think there's a smile on the face of God as he sees his people worshiping in this city. As we go along at 30,000 feet, though, we need to start to bring it in for a landing. And as we get closer and closer, I think we see in those scriptures the church at 3,000 feet. I call this the local church. This, again, is the visible church. And we see evidences in the scripture of the local church. In fact, one of them is right here in Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Jesus Christ. They risked their lives for me. Not only that I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Then, it says, then he says this, greet the church, the ecclesia, that meets at their house. Notice he didn't say the, church, the house was the church. It's not the building, it's not the mortar. The church, the people meet in the house. We're like that this morning. 
We're the church that meets at 2846 Psalm Center Road. And we come together. And what does the church do? And we see in Acts chapter 2, we see some of the things the church do. The church worships. The church has communion. The church has baptism, the sacraments. The church cares for each other. The church teaches. The church admonishes. The church strengthens. The church bears one another's burdens. And that's what the local church does. We see that evidence throughout Acts and throughout the scriptures as Paul writes to these churches. And he says, here's how you take care of each other, local church. And we become the body of Christ. We become the body of Christ. Maybe we're somewhere around 300 feet now. 300 feet, we see people, we see worshipers. We see those whose lives are precious as they come together. Paul, in writing, is concerned about these churches. In fact, in one place, it's 1 Corinthians 12. He's concerned about some of the issues in the church, and he, and he writes to them, and he says, you know, you're, you're the body of Christ. And he says this, he says, all of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts. Did you get that word some? We've said before, when God says all, he means all. Well, when God says some, he doesn't mean all. He means some. So these are some of the parts of the body that he's appointed for the church, the ecclesia. And it's got to be the local, it's got to be, the, it's gotta be the, 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 the church that we can see because he's going to be talking here about people. And he says, here, I've appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then those who do miracles, and those who have the gift of healing, those who have help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Those are just some of them. Are all prophets or apostles or all prophets or all teachers? Do all have the power of miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. I want you to notice something. If you're reading this along in your Bible, you saw things that weren't here. You saw things like chapter markings and verse markings. And those have been added. They help us. They help us understand. They help me. They help us tell you where to turn and all those kind of, and find where we're reading. But, you know, I want you to read this as if it was Paul just writing his letter. This is Paul writing his letter to the Corinthians. And he's talking, because so many times we think, uh-oh, chapter 12 is done. It's about the church. Now chapter 13 is about weddings or something like that. It's all that mushy love stuff. <laughs> and why did you throw it in the middle there, Paul. I don't understand that. You talk about church in 12, you talk about church in 14. What's this deal with love in the middle? But look at this. He says, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts when you're in the church. Church, this is for you. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And then he goes, right, I could speak of all the languages of the earth and of angels. But if I didn't have love for others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The local church must be a place where love reigns supreme throughout everyone. Throughout differences, the love of God must be evident. In fact, he goes on in that chapter, chapter 13, you probably know of it if you've been to a wedding. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. He goes on, he describes this love that is part of the ecclesia. It's part of the church, and it's a local church. 
It's the church that we can see, we can feel, we know. And then he goes on, actually, John. John in chapter 13, 34, and 35 says this. Jesus is speaking now. He says, so I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. When we go out as the church, how is it that they know? How does it they know that we're the church? How is it they know we're Christ's? How is it they know we are part of those who have believed? This is because we love one another. That's the church. That's the church. That's the church at 300 feet. But I love, I love, I love getting even closer. I love the church at three feet. Three feet, the church at three feet is individual stories. It's your story and it's my story. This morning I've asked my brother Wayne Phelps to come. We last few weeks we've been hearing how God has changed lives of people. And part of that is because there's been an empty chair, an empty seat. And when we hear those stories, we get up close and personal, we get to know them. It's like we're three feet away. Us men, we don't like to get too much closer than three feet. (laughs) That's close enough. But when we get close, we hear the stories, we get to know the people, and we become the church. Wayne, would you share with us your story? First of all, where where is it? That picture was, I took that picture of you in Recife, Brazil. We were suffering from the Lord having great steaks at this restaurant. (laughs) They were good steaks, too. Hi, I'm a a believer in Jesus. He has guided me through 11 years of a relationship with him that started right here at this very spot that I'm standing today. And uh, my name is Wayne Phelps. I spent 49 years not believing in or even considering the existence of God. I only believed in myself and uh, led a life that reflected just that. I developed many destructive habits, actually addictions, although at the time I was in total denial that I had any problem or that any of them existed. I abused alcohol. I was a workaholic. I smoked, had anger issues, and many resentments. Used foul language, and the list goes on and on. I was separated so far from God that Lazarus and the rich man were closer to each other than I was to the Lord. Well, one day I hit what is known in recovery, uh, uh, the bottom. My life fell apart. And, and I was, uh, had nowhere to turn. Have you ever put yourself in a situation where you had no idea where you were going, how you were ever going to overcome the ramifications of your actions? I have, and I had no idea what to do. I was in a daze, lost, out of control, and my life was unmanageable. The one thing I depended on, me, had failed me. It was Sunday morning, and I was sitting on the edge of the bed, in trouble with the law, and I confessed to my wife that I had dug a hole so deep that I would never thought I would get out. She stated that she had the phone number of three churches, and the first one had answered the phone she was going to attend that day. I asked her if I could go with her, and she agreed to take me. 
The church was Friends Church. Three and a half weeks later, on November 22, 2002, an evangelist named Gary Wright was having a revival here. And at the 8.15 service, I uh, walked up front and uh, told Gary that that, that that friend of yours, Jerry, that, uh, that story you told, that was my story. And he recited the sinner's prayer with me, and I accepted Jesus into my life as my Lord and Savior. Yeah, he, he even, uh, he even hears our cries that early on a Sunday. Hallelujah. The next day, I went into the pastor's office and explained that I had accepted Jesus yesterday, but I had no idea what I got myself into. <laughs> yeah, he laughed too <laughs> and said, come on in, brother. Let's talk about that. He explained about the relationship Jesus desires with us. And the Lord showed up and put me exactly where I needed to be in his loving arms. Thank God there was an empty chair for me to sit in because had it not worked, worked out as quickly as it did, I probably would have walked away and never returned. I call that God doing for me what I could not do for myself. He used Friends Church for that purpose because the body of believers here were willing to make room for even a beat up black and blue sinner like me. And I was welcomed and I felt welcome. Jesus has become the rock and foundation of my life. Without him, I would only be uh, building on shifting sand. He also has been the foundation of my recovery journey. That journey started here at Friends Church. You see, the Lord never misses a, a good hurt, or never wastes a good hurt, and he doesn't waste any time either. With the help of another believer, I started a Christian 12-step meeting here 10 years ago. So if you're suffering from a hurt, habit, or hang-up, which we all do, come and check us out and learn how the Lord can heal your emotional, spiritual, and addictive characters and wounds. We meet here Thursday evenings from 7 uh, and on the third floor uh, uh, just across from the elevator, and we call the group Stepping Out. I give my testimony at churches where Gary Wright is speaking, and I am an elder of World Renewal and the director of recovery ministers for them. My responsibilities include planning recovery meetings at churches here in the U.S. and in other countries. We have recently started a Celebrate Recovery meeting at Morningstar Friends Church in, in Chardon, and uh, yesterday I met with the uh, rabbi and uh, some of the uh, a congregation at Tikvot uh, Messianic Temple in uh, Lyndhurst, and, and they want to start a recovery meeting there. What a blessing. <clears throat> Today, the Lord is using me to help others start new meetings, and he also has me involved in evangelism and missions in other countries. And I'd like to share, two months ago, my son accepted Jesus, and I had the honor of reciting a sinner's prayer with him at the same spot I prayed, the very same spot I prayed 11 years ago. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank God there was an empty chair for him and his family when they decided to start attending here. 
I strongly support the empty chair campaign because it, it was the empty chair that changed my life for eternity. Now five empty chairs have changed the lives of my son's family. There is, there is also a domino effect that the empty chair has played in the lives of so many others. And I'd like to thank you for letting me share. It's exciting when you start to hear the stories from three feet, when you start to hear how God has changed lives. And just, I can't close without this one thing. Grudem says, Grudem says earlier, I mentioned, the church is all true believers. You know, for those first three weeks, Wayne attended, and he was here, and he was in the brick and mortar, and part of the, what we would call maybe the visible church, but he wasn't yet God's. And if you're here this morning and you, that's where you've been, you say, I've been here. I've been part of the attending, part of the gathering, but I want to be part of the church, the believers. I'm here up here to talk with you afterwards. Um, if, if you're suffering and, and you have some issues and, and you, recovery or, or addictions and you want to talk to Wayne, he'll be here afterwards. I've got to tell you one quick story. This morning, Wayne shared that very same testimony. Between services, there walked a girl down her first time here first time suffering as Wayne has. Sat down and shared with him and I watched him there and, and as they shared and she shared her heart, she said, I've, I've been praying that I could find a church. I found a church. I found a home. That's what we want. That's part of the beauty of the church, the body of Christ. It's God working. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your mercies and your goodness. And Lord, as we go this week and as we start thinking and focusing our minds on the church, Lord, help us to, to see through your eyes the expanse, the massiveness, but the personal nature of your church. Encourage us, refresh us, renew us to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen.